Hello, it's Pete here, and welcome again to EdTech Innovators. This week, it's all about graduate employment, or how to eradicate graduate underemployment. So we're talking to Sean Lestage and Thomas Doherty from Ripen, who I mistakenly referred to as Reapen. Oh well, enjoy. Uh, Ripen, so we are... <laughs> <laughs> that's all right let's break, let's break the ice nicely <laughs> yeah 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 absolutely um yeah it's an early start i it's 8 30 here in vancouver so i've been up uh i'm responsible for leading our expansion with the uk thomas works on the team on team uk with me and so i had a call this morning um we're at business school um and it's just a lot of uh business development uh, in that regard for the markets we've We've had a launch in the UK about 18 months ago with Southampton Business School. And since then, we've had a lot of great traction. We're doing um, a green paper with Emerge Education um, with Nick Petford, the Vice Chancellor of the University of Northampton uh, in collaboration with JISC and Universities UK titled The Future of University Employer Collaboration, A Vision to 2030. Uh, so that's, that's exciting work that we're doing there. And off the back of that, we've been doing interviews and conversations around the, the questions of what what that might look like and and really focused on uh, experiential learning which is which is what ripen does uh, we've much what our marketplace facilitates and and then from there um, kind of how we might be able to collaborate and, and facilitate that so we've we've been fortunate to have a lot of interest uh, within the UK um, Southampton business school as I mentioned Sussex Queen Margaret, London Met, uh, Solent, um, and I'm probably missing a couple, Thomas? Um, Sussex, Queen Margaret, uh, Sterling, and there we uh, are. Like, yeah. Yeah, and, and some just some great conversations. A lot, a, lot of, a lot of really, really, um, uh, a lot of very senior leaders being available to have conversations about, about what that might look like. Obviously, uh, in facilitating that, our focus is to, our mission is to eliminate graduate underemployment and, and really try to address the skills gap that's, that's obviously ex exponentially growing in light of COVID and the current economic challenges uh, for every Western country and the globe entirely. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been exciting work. Mm. Um, why do we think that the senior leaders were available to talk to you? Do you think, do you think that they're prioritizing them? prioritizing you because their needs are changing or is it because they're spending too much time at home? Um, <laughs> I think maybe a bit of both, but I, I, I think that honestly the, the answer is that uh, what Ripen facilitates um, co-created project-based learning that's embedded in higher education curriculum has gone from being a nice to have to a house on fire problem that needs to be solved very quickly. Um, in addition to that, our platform facilitates and, and, and enables students to connect who otherwise can't, can't do that. Potentially the, the in-campus, the on-campus learning experience is, mm. is compromised or non-existent, and this is a way for that to be addressed. I think there's some um, potential for the engagements that happen to, be po to positively impact mental health for students to feel as though they're accomplishing things that are meaningful. Um, they're engaging with industry partners uh, on real projects, which is exciting. So I think it's adding value to their educational experience. Um, that's, that's been our experience in North America um, thus far. 
So I think I think all of those things sort of converged in light of COVID to make this uh, worth the discussion. And then, quite honestly, I think the um, the work that we're doing with Emerge Education, which is a VC uh, in London, and and Nick Bedford has opened a, a number of doors for us to have those conversations. Mm. Yeah. Well, look, I can see how um, you know, post COVID, of course, it's. Um, you're solving a you're hopefully solving a specific problem um, yeah. to emerge quite recently and that's an answer to the very very difficult question what's the point in you know claiming that you're going to solve um, graduate unemployment mm -hmm. um, when there are far fewer jobs for graduates to go into yeah. in the first place yeah but can you possibly say more about about that about how you, you yeah a absolutely so our mission just to, just for clarity is to eliminate graduate underemployment and what we what we mean by that is that graduates are getting meaningful work that pays a living wage in an area of which they're educated for. Mm. Um, roughly, uh, can maybe unpack that further, but um, we are an, a fairly early stage uh, education technology startup. So we're, we're about six years old, but in earnest about four years old in terms of actually having a tech platform that's been improving and growing our team. Um, and so uh, addressing the, the issue or the, the, the growing concern for unemployment or underemployment for graduates is our long-term vision and mission. Currently, what we're focused on is employability. Hmm. So, uh, so developing the skills and, and validating those skills for students to become more employable. Um, and, and part of that, I think, will be as that's done over time, we will then be able to move to the, the next problem, which is Really, I think um, my background is in law and after joining Reichen about two and a half years ago, uh, it's, it's very much the startup sort of mantra, solve the problem that's gonna kill you first. And, 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 that's, sort of, and, and that's sort of how we operate. And that's a, it's sort of a, a dire way to look at things, but I think it's, it's quite applicable for this as well. We can't solve the employment problem unless we, we address the employability problem first. Um, and so I think that's, that's our order of operations. Wonderful. So um, if my if you saw my eyes darting while you were talking to me just now, I was taking a walk around your website. So um, Thomas, would you be um, so kind as to take me for a walk around the website? Uh, yes, absolutely. So um, when you look at Ripen, um, I usually do this with a screen share, but what I can I can just describe if you were to if you were to log on to Ripen, which you can do uh, creating a free account, you can just go straight. You don't need an academic uh, login or anything like that. Um, what you see is effectively a two-sided marketplace where educators and employers can post what are effectively requests for proposals to collaborate with the corresponding party. Um, our, our terminology is that an educator would post a course, it's just an advertisement page saying, here's what we'd like our students to do with an employer. And an employer posts a project that says, hey, this is what we'd like to do with some students. And my job and the job of anyone else involved in client success at Ripen or in any capacity is to facilitate that meeting between educator and employer and make it as seamless as possible. Um, and everything else here is really kind of um, meant to make, yeah, to make that transition very easy. There's requests, there's file sharing and, uh, and all sorts of things like that. Um, and my, that's where my role at the company comes in. I'm, I am an academic sales rep, so mainly I am about like, um, kind of pre-party pre, pre getting onto the, uh, the platform. 
but um, I will also help with the initial setting up of um, you know how to create one of those proposals, um, checking in on their experience in the transition to a post-sale environment for them. Interesting. Now, it, it's um, as you, as the listeners may have noticed from your accent, of course, um, you're not a Canadian. Uh, you, not uh, Canadian. No. <laughs> um, so, I seem to um, have snuck in over here. Yes, exactly. You did. Um, I'm telling the authorities there right now, but. Um, <laughs> But what, uh, how, how's it working out for you living out in, in Vancouver and, and why specifically the West Coast? Yeah, I mean, I, I love it out here. I, um, I, I did apply as um, just I happened um, to about three years, about three or four years ago. I, um, I was uh, I heard about the working holiday, uh, working holiday scheme over here, which is something that um, a lot of young people in their 20s, uh, do between the countries of Canada, UK, Australia, New Zealand. And um, I'd heard very good things about Vancouver. I moved completely independently of with this role. Um, I uh, attained permanent residence here and then I moved. And so, and then um, I applied for Ripon and joined about Feb, beginning of February this year. So um, relatively new for me as well, but um, I've, I've been in education. I have a PGC and I was a teacher for a little while as well. Um, and um, so the mission of, of helping for employability and just seeing what the kind of one of the roles of education is is something that's really was really important to me because I guess if you look at like what's happening with tuition fees and things like that I think it's a natural I think it's quite natural to see education as something of an investment in your future and that would mean being employable and having a meaningful employment situation afterwards um I think Ripon's doing a lot towards that and Mm. um yeah, I mean, that's um, a horribly so, loaded question, then, if I may. Do you think we need more <laughs> qualified teachers in the ad tech space? Well, it's it's certainly it's certainly given me, I guess, a, um, a, a an interesting perspective on it because um, when I when I was when I was teaching, you know, I, it's something that I mean, I have a chemistry undergrad degree, and I taught chemistry, and I would go in full well knowing that ninety percent of the content that's being taught is not going to be needed because for example, a lot of the content is, if it's a chemical reaction, it's probably done by a machine. It doesn't need a lot of human oversight, but it's um, a lot of the specific content isn't important. It's some of the skills they learn in applying it, you know, how, how to evaluate a problem, how to apply it to a different situation and things like that. Um, and um, I think teachers are, we, 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 a lot of teachers notice this. And I think knowing that it's, it's about the skills you develop along the learning experience is uh, is quite important, mm. um, and uh, yeah, with a lot of these work experiences that we do for Ripon, these kind of micro internships and project based learning, I think those are all just continuing continuing that on and building a journey for employability. Mm, okay, if I could if I could jump in, Pete. I'm not surprised. Uh, Thomas is one of I think four in a row we hired former teachers to join the company uh, from very. Um, different disciplines and I, I think that's a common thread for all of them was was around that um, funny enough when I, uh, I actually had the pleasure of interviewing Thomas and found out we both studied at Sussex and I maybe hadn't prepared as well as I should have for the interview <laughs> and I noticed while, while we were chatting that we were alumni of the same institution and uh, wow. so that was exciting yeah it's yeah. a small world and you, you said yeah, that absolutely. you were to uh, Brighton don't you frequently yeah, yeah, I, I finished a number of years ago, but I, I, I'm back, well, pre-COVID every year, at least once, at least once, uh, which is fantastic. I love Brighton. Yeah. 
I'll share a dark secret with you. I've never been to Brighton. What? I know. No excuse. <laughs> How is that possible? I know. How is yeah. it possible? I don't know. Yeah. Haven't you been to a stag do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there is that. You're a lot, you're a lot of Saturday nights in Brighton. Yeah. 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 Uh, funny. Not enough, it appears. I haven't been to an, enough stag do. Um, but yeah, I must do. I mean, there's a fast train now, isn't there? I believe that you can get from London. So uh, yeah, that, that's been so. a problem because I'm up in Liverpool and it's quite far away from Brighton. But there's Fair a fast enough. train from London then. I'm there. The next, next academic conference in Brighton. Yeah. I'm there. Um, Absolutely. Great. So we, we talked about the importance of experiential learning. And um, I mean, what are your views on, on experiential learning within schools you know, before they, they get to you at Ripon? I mean, currently we've, uh, of course, I mean, uh, I think it's fair to say we, we, we all would support that as, a, as an organization and individuals within, within the company. Our, our focus has been on higher ed. We have run some pilots um, with schools. The challenge for that is around some of the privacy and, and security issues that are obviously um, heightened when you're dealing with, with uh, underage people. So that's, that has not been our focus to date. That said, I think there are some great companies doing work in the space. I don't know necessarily that they would be able to facilitate real life collaborations with industry necessarily. It would be a bit more of a challenge. Hmm. Um, that said, I, I, I'm not familiar with, with anyone who's doing that in the space. So, um, hmm. okay. So, um, well, I mean, just thinking about, I'm just having a look at the, the, the page about connecting with students' talents in, in higher education. So uh, I, I have a dream to, to coin a phrase. Um, mm -hmm. So I'd imagine that, um, correct me if I'm wrong, that if, if um, there was um, a, a sort of you know, similar organisation uh, to Ripen in the UK or the mm -hmm. USA, I'd imagine that that would end up being um, a forum where people hire are looking for free labor or very cheap labor for you know the people the companies are just looking for people they can just uh, you know employ a, either no wages at all or very low wages and then toss aside but i'd imagine in, uh, being canadian it's slightly different and and more ethical but um <laughs> please tell me it is I, I i'm happy to hear that that's the perception of canada um <laughs> Yeah, I think I, I, that's often been a concern for us. So as we've been scaling the company, we've 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 been growing quickly. In 2016, we had two institutions on our platform. Today, we have over or nearly 250, with about 10,000 employers in in the marketplace, and and that that has that question has come up probably in every conversation. Every every new institution, every new educator has raised that as a concern uh, along the way, and I think it's probably a valid concern. Um, the truth is for us and in our experience that employers are it's free for small medium businesses to use our platform so they can engage with and do these projects for free and it's been a very rare instance where it is doing mission critical projects so the 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 motivation to to do or to try and seek out free labor for these projects would be pretty low or sorry the incentive i should say and I think, I think in reality, what's been happening is that there's been sort of, there's been value where, where an industry organization that maybe has difficulty accessing higher education and engaging with students for a number of reasons, maybe they don't have an HR department, they're a family run business, they, they might be even a, a medium sized business, but they just haven't really figured out how you, how do you call Liverpool John Moores and get to the right person to connect and collaborate and create these 
these uh, these projects. And so they might have an idea or, or a set of ideas or projects that they've kind of stopped or started and they're on the side of desk and they engage with students on those and get maybe get them kickstarted, validate them, what have you. Uh, and then in those cases, I think there's a fairly reasonable trade um, in terms of our exchange of, of value for both parties. The students are already paying for higher education. They're paying tuition to study. And this, in our view, and I think in, in reality is a value add for them. So they're getting the value of the degree and the education process, the network they're building and, and all of the sort of socialization and civic kind of understanding within society. But in addition to that, they're getting validated skills from an employer who can assess their soft skills, give them feedback, sometimes critical, sometimes obviously glowing. Um, but, it, but in any event, it, it, I think it adds to the experience and it's, there's no additional cost to the student. From the employer side of the equation, they're getting to engage with uh, hundreds of students across many institutions if they'd like to do it, use the platform in that way, identify talent, validate ideas, maybe maybe find out some of the marks are good, some of them are great, and in a number of cases, end up hiring those students for summer work or even graduate employment. Um, we, we, we haven't had, I don't think, enough runway yet to start tracking that in, in any meaningful way. It's, it's anecdotal, but it is still meaningful to see that regularly students engaging in these projects are getting interviews, getting job offers. And I think in that way, uh, the trade-off is, is quite fair. Right. Yeah. So if, if, if it's okay with you, could you possibly walk me through a sort of hypothetical case study, if you like? So if, imagine I'm at, um, at, at a, a really great university like Sussex or something. Um, <laughs> just, just, just as yeah. time. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm, in second, I'm in the second year of my degree. And, yeah. um, I'm doing uh, business management or something and uh, I'm looking yeah. to get some work experience. So how would I, what, what sort of steps would I take um, to use Ripen to actually move me forward? Yeah, absolutely. So what, what ends up happening in that scenario, there's two, two use cases. I'll give you sort of our core competency, which would be, so the, the, the academic leading that module would, as Thomas described, would, would post a piece of it or a project within the syllabus onto our platform. And there's a creation wizard that makes that a fairly seamless process and our customer success team supports that. Um, what would then end up happening as a student, all you would need to do is be registered to take that particular module and it becomes part of the course. So Ripen is then integrated with your institution's learning management system and there's no additional signups and you would just take the course as normal. And I think that's part of the, the value proposition for what we offer is that students are, the engagement from students is, is a certainty because it's part of the curriculum. Um, and so that, that in that regard, there's no additional work for students. There are, of course, other opportunities outside the classroom, co-curricular opportunities, virtual internships, those sorts of things. And for those, you might you might go to the career services office who would be set up as an admin on the portal and they, and they would form relationships or just be inviting in existing commercial relationships or councils or nonprofits, what have you. And they would have those opportunities available for you and you could do those under the supervision of the career services office. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Good. So, so uh, again, looking at it, just want to look at this from a few angles to to, mm -hmm. to, to the listeners, I suppose. So, so if I am uh, an academic in, in this hypothetical university in somewhere like Sussex, um, and Ripen approached me uh, about integrating uh, Ripen into the syllabus, um, what kind of reassurance might I have that this isn't going to just mess up my whole <laughs> um, teaching? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so usually what happens, we, we start with 
sort of our, the core areas that we, we've begun the company with. Um, and those are the business management, data analytics, marketing, um, those types of various some technology programs. And usually you start with some piece of the syllabus. So it would be, it would be a rare case in which an educator, an academic is posting or using Ripen for the entire module, the entire course. Um, you would start with some section, maybe assessed, may, it might be unassessed and our CS team would then walk you through and it's, it's temporally flexible. So uh, the whole platform is educator led. If you wanted to make it a one week collaboration with an employer, that would be fine. If you wanted to make it a four month collaboration with 40 employers, you could use it in that context as well. The group students would be uh, put into groups and there's a whole host of project management features on the platform that would make that a fairly user-friendly uh, process. So there's milestone tracking, file sharing, in-platform chat. Um, and, and all of this is viewable to the educators so they can easily see how the students are engaging with their, uh, the employer, whether or not they're being professional, if they're responding in a timely manner, those sorts of things kind of jump into conversations. So there's of course no obligation to be involved in every conversation, but I think probably as an academic, it would be helpful to see what's happening across the whole of the, uh, the module. Mm. Um, yeah, and I think there's, um, it, it, it's very low risk uh, to try in that, in that way. So often what happens for a new educator at a, at a new institution or a platform, they might start with looking for one employer in their region or one employer just to, work from wherever um, and they'll have all the students work on projects for that one employer. And then as they go, they might start to use the platform in more complex ways. There's a professor at uh, Schulich Business School in Canada here at uh, York University, which um, uh, his surname escapes me, so I won't, I won't try and say it, but it's, um, he, he, I think is actually, I, that example of 40 employers is him. So uh, four years ago, he was using Ripen maybe to find one or two employers to engage with the students. And now 40 employers for one particular class, which is quite a, uh, a growing use case for us and kind of exciting to see. Mm, okay. Yeah. So um, just by way of the final pieces of the jigsaw, if, if I may. Um, yeah. So I'm thinking, so the universities are, they're sort of reaching out to local employers and developing relationships with, oh, sorry, you're developing their existing relationships with employers and, and drawing on those. And what about from the point of view of, of say, SMEs or, or major employers in the, you know, for example, Brighton area or whatever? Mm -hmm. um, what, do, you, do you have to lia liaise with those and, and, and just uh, fit them into the, into the, um, into the are you sorry, jigsaw again? Apologies. Yeah, it's all right. So essentially, the, in our expansion to the UK, we have a dedicated uh, sales team in North America that has been bringing employers on our platform for several years now. Um, and so our approach in the UK is our platform has a number of tools that and, and CS support to allow institutions to add value to their existing commercial relationships. So within using Brighton as the example in the southeast of of England, uh, they could invite in employers or, or, and or alumni who are, might want to re-engage or engage with the institution or are already engaging with the institution. They'll have free access, they'll have CS support and, and will help make those collaborations work. Um, in addition to that, they can request or wait for requests from SMEs, large enterprise nonprofits from all over North America. And that regularly happens. So this past year at Southampton Business School, I think 50% of their employer engagements came from their existing network and 50% came from the North America network. So students are getting 
um, a global perspective, if you will, for the time being, mostly a North American perspective, but they're getting those opportunities. Um, and I think it's fantastic. And I would say it actually is truly a global perspective because a lot of those particular modules would have been uh, postgraduate modules, largely with international students. So they maybe have come from India or China or Nigeria, Brazil, or wherever else they might have come from, which is fantastic. Collaborate at studying uh, at South, in Southampton, but doing collaborative, collaborative projects with regional companies, as well as companies from New York, Toronto, Vancouver, Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, this is the question I've, I've had to ask everybody since starting the podcast back in January. Um, sorry, I've had to ask this question of everybody since COVID, but what opportunities has um, this dreadful situation uh, presented um, to you in, in a positive way? Yeah, I think that there's been two that, that come to mind right away for me. One would be, we, we made a decision to make SMEs and SMBs have free access to our platform when COVID started, uh, in part, um, lar largely motivated to ensure that we could satisfy the academic demand in our marketplace. Um, and we similar, that, that worked extremely well. We had an 1100% increase in companies coming onto the platform. Um, so we're, we're, at, we're growing at a rate of 100 to 150 companies a week joining our platform. Um, the, on the academic side, we had, it took us three years to get about 70 institutions and we added 80 within six weeks. And so the, the, and when you're building a marketplace, what you're hoping to achieve is sort of virality. And then from that virality network effects of, of additional value by every new participant within the marketplace. And so to have that occur in such a short time frame was, was monumental for us. Uh, and, and for all of the participants in the marketplace. So I think those, the opportunity and, and where that leads remains to be seen. Uh, you know, we're, we're working that out now. We've scaled up our company. We were 22 employees 16 months ago. We're at 80 today. So um, yeah, it's, it's been fairly rapid growth for us. And then we're now, we're now actively being used in four countries. So Canada, our home country, the United States, Australia, and the United Kingdom. Um, yeah, so the opportunity has been enormous. And I think for us, that transition from being a nice to have to a, to a must have has been really that shift. And the, I think the opportunities are continuing to, to grow or, the, or the, the total addressable market to use kind of a SaaS tech term is, is, is rapidly growing in terms of continuing education, upskilling and reskilling uh, learners who may be becoming unemployed and looking to transition or, or uh, industries that are kind of dying, maybe fossil fuels, those sorts of things, uh, and, and giving people those opportunities. And I think we're, we're well positioned to take advantage and, and support those, I should say. Mm, absolutely. The certain politicians would disagree with uh, this idea that fossil fuels are dying, but let's not go there. <laughs> if, if I might add to that as well, it's um, one of the things I, I thought about that um, it reminds me of a little bit of something you hear in teaching, which is um, the first stage of learning something new is, is is unconscious incompetence, where you don't know some, you don't know that you don't know something. So there's not really an opportunity to develop from it. Um, what we're seeing with a lot of small, medium enterprises and even academics as well, who ask about other courses, so they're looking to see what other professors, like the corresponding professors at other universities, are doing. Um, seeing how their courses run, what opportunities they're looking for. Um, we're in a field like academia. Or you know, um, higher education teaching where maybe the curricula doesn't move very quickly to see what other universities are doing in a dynamic marketplace such as ours. It's, um, it does help to, you know, see is, is, the, is the curriculum a bit uh, out of date? Uh, what are the employers looking for? Am I teaching 
to prepare my students for these kinds of things. Um, and as Sean pointed out as well, with the smallest of companies, they might not have a sophisticated talent funnel like a large consultancy firm might do. So how would they get their next talented employees if they didn't have access to something like this? So it's, it's all, they're all, everyone in the ecosystem is learning from each other. And um, I think it's been, it's been really interesting to see because I've had times on calls with companies in addition to uh, professors and they're all, everyone is learning through this together, I think. Yeah, do, do, do we think that, uh, I'm not saying this from a position of knowledge really, I'm just asking the question, do you think that the, the companies who are starting to thrive, if you like, in, in the middle of COVID have been the ones who've been able to collaborate with other people rather than seeing their competitors as a, as a threat? Um, yeah, so, sorry, go ahead, Thomas. Okay, I'll, I'll jump in. <laughs> I think, I, I, I mean, this is a bit, a bit of a tangent for me, but I do think we're seeing in some, not, not, not in the experiential learning in higher ed space necessarily, but I think globally we're seeing some disaster capitalism that's disappointing to see. But I think companies that will thrive long-term, right, and being one of them, and, and it is that collaborative, um, solving meaningful problems and doing it in a way that is uh, adding short and long-term value and, and not viewing this as a as a, an immediate opportunity to capitalize on what is a very difficult situation for everybody and in, within the uk specifically i can speak to um i've never experienced this type of collaboration where is, uh, the senior leaders are available everyone's available everyone's trying to solve a problem and i'm seeing i'm i'm experiencing in conversation with russell group institutions um polytech previous polytechnics the very new universities Everyone seems to be collaborating. There is still, of course, some competitive nature, but it seems to be a different atmosphere in which everyone recognizes we're in this together. And ultimately, what, what we're seeing is that students are being put first. They're, the outcomes of their education is being prioritized in a way um, with more emphasis than I think previously it may have been. Mm -hmm. uh, in a, and there's a lot of pressures that might be driving that, but I think ultimately it's very positive for everybody involved. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Well, it's, it's, it's so encouraging to hear it really is. Um, and it, yeah. it's nice that you've got such a, a deep perception of um, deep understanding of, um, of, of where it's, it's all going, you know, from, a, um, from uh, COVID onwards. Um, you're going to add something, Thomas, where you or did I imagine that? Um, yeah, no, I was, uh, it's not something, not hugely substantial, but um, I mean, I'm, I'm not an economist either, but one of the things I know is that I don't think, with a lot of these changes, um, yes, it's been a rather disrupt. It's been a disruptive year, given code for a lot of for the whole world, really. But um, I don't think it's a. I don't think it's zero sum in the sense that some some there's going to be some winners and necessarily some losers in it. Of course, there's a lot of places have struggled, but um, yeah, I think um, there's definitely been some opportunities that which I don't think they've fully been realised yet. But um, yeah, it's um, and. I don't, yeah, I don't think this is. I don't think it's a zero-sum thing where there's necessarily some losers. But yeah, it, it's been. It's definitely been tough. But you've seen um, some the way some companies have pivoted, some groups have pivoted, and uh, even the educators that knew that their students aren't going to graduate because they haven't got an internship, they found us and um, they found some great opportunities. I mean, we have a university in the north of England who um, they didn't have required internships, but they saw this as um, well. If we're all uh, internships being cancelled if we can't do in person then what's stopping us from looking at internships in North America and they had a postgrad business course and yeah they had a great time and I'm still in contact with um, 
one of the um, one of the people who runs that uh, program. And uh, University yeah, X, I love it. I'm sorry. University X. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, um, but it's, uh, yeah. So it's um, there's, there's there's new opportunities everyone. I don't think the full extent of them is there yet because of course we you know there's 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 immediate fires to be put out. But um, yeah, we'll mm. we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, excellent idea too. I mean, it must have been such fun for the for the students, of course, doing an internship and. In, uh, in well, Exactly. Yeah, just having a North American um, uh, internship experience. It's uh, and, and in a way that they probably wouldn't have accessed before this happened. Yeah, absolutely. We, we actually didn't. We, we facilitating the internships piece was the other response for us to COVID. Um, so we called it virtual internships. We launched it immediately when COVID started. And it became evident that co-ops, sandwich years, and traditional placements were being cancelled, delayed, but very often cancelled. Um, it was an enormous shift for us. We did some internal restructuring process changes, but also adapting some of the tech uh, to facilitate that. And we were able to, to uh, enable 7,500 internships over the summer to, to continue and take place with a 92% success rate, I believe, in terms of matching and, and completing, which is uh, something we're extremely proud of considering what was happening and how the pace of which institutions and employers were both trying to determine what this landscape looks like what happens in three, six, nine months, everyone was sort of scrambling. And um, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. And I think that that's what led to that sort of rapid growth on both sides of our marketplace. Can you give us an example of how one of those virtual internships might work? So yeah, if absolutely. I'm a, that you know, hypothetical you know, student in the second year of their degree and I get this internship in Denver or somewhere. Do you want me to say that, Sean? Yeah, go. absolutely, Thomas. That'd be great. Yeah, so... Um, well, for me, I mean, this is the, the bread and butter of my role describing how these go through, but it's um, the actual difference between a, the virtual internships and our core project based on isn't all that much. It's mainly just about the level of oversight. So um, our t traditional model might be, um, yeah, Pete, so we've got the second year marketing uh, class. Uh, and instead of doing this case study that's been in the in the curriculum for 10 years now and everyone does the same thing and it's high, and it's all made up with a not a fictitious company you'll have a real company with a real project um, maybe maybe they're not going to take the final work from the students and roll, roll with it but maybe they would have this as an initial start to the project work um, and then they would hire a professional consultancy afterwards or maybe they are maybe it's a company that is the demographic is a little bit aging and they just want to see what the new generation, what, what they think of their product and what they could do with it. So it's just a new generational um, outlook. Um, so we would connect them and they would have, uh, they, they would, we would see that project page. This is what we're looking to do with our, our marketing plan. Here's our deliverables. They see the course page, which is done by the educator, uh, which is, um, you know, they were required to do a business style presentation or report. Uh, minimum 100 hours or something like this, there'd be those minimum requirements for the class to be passed, for the credit to be attained and things like that. And the only difference between project-based learning and the virtual internships is just um, a virtual internship might be run out of a career center where we say, here is the minimum requirements. They have to do 100 hours. Here's the tasks they need to do. We've got this from the academics already. Go and find your opportunity. And that is relatively an independent experience between the students and the employer. Um, project-based learning is just um, give us your project work companies and we will do it in class and you'll get the received product at the end whether that is a presentation or a report mm -hmm. um, the content as you can see is they're not mutually exclusive they're not mutually exclusive in the content um, just in how much who's doing the oversight really um, so there is a experience that's amenable to I think all faculty a lot of faculty really 
um, just depends on how they want to run the experience. Mm, nice. Expertly managed by you, of course. Um, do we, um, <laughs> Sean? What do we remember? What do we uh, recall about uh, Thomas's interview? Then anything? <laughs> well, uh, I, I know. Funny enough, Thomas did not apply for the job he got hired for. I can tell you that much. Um, no. Yeah, funny story I, about I, this, actually. I very quickly recognized Thomas had some sales skills in our interview and uh, told him that we would be making him an offer for a different role. Oh. So. Yeah, he was he was very impressive, I think, as we've seen today. And uh, yeah, it was uh, we're, we're very lucky to have him. Uh, it's mm. funny enough, when, uh, because I studied at Sussex and I had some previous experience working um, in collaboration with UK higher ed, um, I, I've been sort of leading the charge for our expansion. And and then once that began, Thomas applied and we've had a, we've had a few more Brits join the team uh, since. So it's been fantastic. Um, I, I now definitely don't know the most about the UK higher education market at Ripon, um, okay. which is which is help, helpful. And I think it's 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 at various levels. So on our strategy team, on our CS team, and 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 in our sales team. So it's great to have sort of that sort of uh, slant uh, focus uh, about the market and understanding. And I think uh, informs sort of what we're doing as we as we expand and, and build further relationships in the market. Fantastic, and the UK expansion is going very well at the moment too. Yeah, it's it's been it's been incredible. I would say I think that um, I, I personally been, I'm I'm extremely proud of the work we're doing, and I, I'm extremely proud of UK higher education for uh, making this such a priority. I, I feel as though there's a there's a real appetite for innovation and being a world leader in 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 transforming education to increase the return on value for all of the stakeholders, um, and I think that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, that's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I've really enjoyed hearing all about Ripen and uh, we wish you the best of luck, but it sounds like things are going pretty damn well at the moment, but, um, but you were, it sounds like you're really gathering a lot of momentum. So, you know, very well done for that. Um, thank you. So thank you. Thank you so much for talking to us and uh, we will speak again soon, won't we? Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thank you, Pete. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. So there goes Sean and Thomas from Ripen. That's Ripen. I really enjoyed talking to those two. I'll see you again next week on EdTech Innovators. Take care and see you later.